What I want to do is live it all, every bit of it, all the inconsistencies. I want to enter in not concerned about being consistent at all. Nothing about the situation in which we find ourselves right now is all bad, neither is it all good, with ALS not by a long shot. But we can choose to see light even if it's only a glimmer, and we can cut ourselves some slack when we're tempted to doubt there's any light at all. That was a quote from a participant in my research study on mindful photography and anticipatory grief. Hi listeners, welcome to Grief Out Loud. Remember the last time you tried to talk about grief and suddenly everybody left the room? Grief Out Loud is opening up this often avoided conversation because grief is hard enough without having to go through it alone. We bring you a mix of personal stories, tips for supporting children, teens, and yourself, and interviews with professionals in the grief world. Platitude and cliche-free, we promise. Grief Out Loud is hosted by me, Jana DeCristofaro, and produced by the Dougie Center for Grieving Children and Families in Portland, Oregon. There's nothing quite like grief to take us completely out of the moment. When someone is no longer in their physical form, we get pulled into the past, clamoring to remember every interaction and experience with them. At the same time, we also leap into the future, anticipating, often with doom, what events will be like without them. With all the ways that grief shows up in our bodies, minds, and hearts, it can be really difficult to be in the present because that present is outrageously painful. Dr. Jessica Thomas helps people in grief explore what it can be like to take a break from excavating the past or forecasting the future, and to use the process of creating images as a way to ground themselves in the actual moment. Dr. Thomas is the president of the board of the Northwest Association for Death Education and Bereavement Support, affectionately known as Northwest ADEBS. She's also a professor at Lewis and Clark College and has a private psychotherapy practice where she supports clients in grief, life transitions, and other challenges. Jessica, I'm really excited to have this conversation with you today. Thank you for having me. Let's start with what what drew you to working with people in grief? It's not always a topic that a lot of people are drawn to. Well, I've actually always been interested in in death and dying since I was um, very young. However, when I was in my early 20s, I lost my father unexpectedly. And um, that inspired um, my curiosity in death and dying and grief and loss. Um, So a couple years later, I was um, caring for my grandmother, who was dying at our family home. And um, I grew up with her, so it was also like losing another parent. However, that loss was, um, was more timely. She was 96, and so I helped take care of her for the last year of her life, and that was very meaningful. And that is what inspired my work with integrating mindful photography and journal writing in the context of anticipatory loss and grief. Is that something you turn to for your own grief and your own process? Uh, Yeah. In fact, um, it was something intuitive that I used in those last uh, few days that she was dying. And what were your dad and grandma's names? Uh, My dad was James Howard Thomas, and my grandmother was Anna Minko. Anna Minko. Yes. 
Actually, she was a very tough lady. She grew up on the farm in Kansas, um, the oldest of eight children. I say that's um, that's why she she died so um, so late, you know, at the ripe old age of ninety six, mm. and died very consciously. What do you mean by consciously? Well, in those last hours, you could tell that um, she was very conscious as she was dying, mm. um, and that was um, a very meaningful memory that I have. And even those last few days, um, it was very open about that she was actively dying, you know, talking about it, and she was really confronting it, and as were we. Mm. Which just seems like can be a pretty unusual experience for a lot of folks. Yeah, it seems that way. Well, and we were going to talk next a little bit about the idea of mindfulness and, like, what does that word actually mean? Because it gets tossed around a lot, and I nod my head and I say, oh, yeah, I know what mindfulness mm-hmm. is. And then I'm like, I'm not being very mindful about what mindfulness means. And right. it seems like this experience with your grandmother, like, mm-hmm. is sort of the epitome of what does it mean to be mindful with what's mm-hmm. happening and being really present with it. Yeah, it does. Um, so I think that... Uh, utilizing the camera in the days following her death. Um, It helped me to be present in a time that was very difficult. And you were just taking photos, not necessarily of your grandmother, of things connected to her dying, just out in the world, capturing images. Right. One image specifically was taken that um, my nephew had come over to um, say hello and subsequently goodbye, and he was propped up on her um, bedside. And um, his tiny little, you know, six-month-old hand Mm. was um, crossed over her very colorful hand. Um, That was such a striking moment for me. After she she passed away, I reflected on that image, and I just saw so much in that image, just a wholeness that that image really symbolized for me, and of the relationship that I had with my grandmother, of me growing up with her, and her taking care of me, and then me taking care of her. Um, and yeah, so, amazing that this one photograph of two hands can... Mm-hmm root you so deeply into the meaning of your relationship. Mm-hmm. That experience and that image is reflects the meaningfulness of just really being able to be open and aware and present in these difficult times. Yeah, so it's a combination not just of taking a good photo necessarily when we're talking about mindful photography, we're talking about the process of where you are in your mind space and in your heart space when you're taking the images. Absolutely. Exactly. Exactly. So how did you go from that experience, personal experience, of turning this into basically your life's work? Yeah, so um, that happened to me actually just uh, before I started my master's. But of course, that, that experience stayed with me. As I was finishing my master's, I knew that I wanted to pursue a PhD or further studies in death and dying. And I came across transpersonal psychology, which is an integration of Eastern philosophy and Western psychology. And so I ended up doing my research, my dissertation research on mindful photography and anticipatory loss. 
I know we sort of like jumped into what mindful photography mm-hmm. is, mm-hmm. but maybe we could back it up a second. Just yeah. like, what does that look like? Say you have, you're working with maybe an individual or a group of people coming together to do mindful photography, mm-hmm. specifically connected to grief, whether before or after someone dies. What does that process look like? Simply put, it is to be open and curious and attuned with the present moment through the qualities of your aesthetic experience. So actually, mindful photography is something that you do typically on your own and creating images while you're in that uh, conscious state of awareness. You return to the images that you created after some space between the time that you made them, and then you reflect on them and ascribe your own meaning to them. And so they often reflect um, and are symbolic to how you feel um, on the inside. Your inner is informed by your outer experience. Almost like a reflection back to you to help you better understand maybe what you were experiencing on the inside. Exactly. How does someone, how do you invite people to get into that more conscious state so that they are out with their camera wandering around looking for images? Yeah, so it is a process. Typically, in a mindful photography, um, in a group, um, we learn the simple mindfulness um, techniques of like a mindfulness walk, becoming attuned to your aesthetic environment, being um, aware of colors and sounds, and then work from there. So it begins pretty simple. And then we bring the camera in. You learn how to slow down, become attuned to your environment, and discern in the moment what invites you to make an image. Unlike fine arts photography, where the emphasis is on capturing something, this emphasis is on an invitation. So rather than taking the photo, the photo finds you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And there's a a resonance in the moment that that happens. It really requires you to learn to slow down. Everyone's least favorite thing to do, Mm -hmm. I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) And speaking of mindfulness and being aware of our surroundings, listeners, in case you're hearing like a deep booming bark, our friend Taylor Maid is in the office today. And so he may be showing up on the recording. Just a little heads up. You've described mindful photography as this process of receiving and letting go, learning to wait, letting to go, letting go of thinking and judging. And as I was reading about that, I thought, gosh, that sounds a whole lot like the process of grief and trying to build a relationship with grief. What's your sense of why this way of being, this mindful photography, fits so well with grief? So you develop a relationship with grief because it is a gentle and creative way of engaging quite difficult feelings and also sharing difficult feelings. It seems that it's an indirect and creative way. Um, So it's a little less intimidating for most folks. And when you learn to let go of expectations and clinging, you truly allow a space for others' qualities to emerge, such as intuition. And something that is so often overlooked something like intuition is often blocked or disconnected because we are uh, overthinking and ruminating and, and, and suffering can become an obstacle to accessing 
some of those deeper qualities in our experience. So different than maybe sitting down with someone who might ask you the question, why do you think you feel this guilt or why do you think you feel this shame? That that can be really hard and engages that part of our brain that's constantly sussing versus tapping a little bit deeper into like what a shame or guilt feel like or look like to me. Yeah, exactly. So it's just a a more creative and gentle way to explore grief and it inspires more openness and curiosity. And there's something sort of exciting about that too. So it's different than sitting down and like you mentioned, um, being asked, how do you feel? Well, a lot of times we don't know. We're not entirely (laughs) sure how we feel. Let me get back to you about that. (laughs) There's a lot of confusion going on. and, um, And so rather than being put on the spot so directly, this is a different way of exploring. Yeah, it seems like that would be so beneficial, particularly for kids and teens who maybe do have uh, or have less experience with putting their emotions into words or less life experience to draw from and may not be able to access that more cognitive way of processing. What, what have you seen in your work? I know you've done some work with teenagers in this way. Yeah, it, it, it works beautifully with teenagers. Um, teenagers, I think, are often eager to practice this um, mindful photography and a more explorative approach to grief and loss. And it gives them a medium that um, they find more engaging and approachable. Mm-hmm. But also, um, I think it works also as well for adults. Sometimes it can take a little warming up for adults because I think adults have practiced being in their heads all too much. <laughs> We're quite good at that. <laughs> yeah. And so it it takes a little bit of practice up front to let go. Yeah. So you might have to work a little bit harder with adults to invite them into this process mm-hmm. and, and teens maybe take to it a little bit quicker. Yeah. Yeah. But um, it's beneficial either way. What surprised you as a facilitator of this work with people in grief? Um, I don't know if I would say surprised, but I will say it has been the most humbling experiences that I've had is developing the practice and witnessing, facilitating the groups, um, and that there is such deep reflection and meaningfulness that transpires uh, that I'm always just so overwhelmed with gratitude I am, I guess I am a little surprised every time, but I tried to, I go into these groups with the same way as mindful photography with no expectation. Um, so I try to practice that same sense of curiosity and openness that I invite others to mm-hmm. practice. I don't know what it's like for you, but for me, every time I sit down with a group of grieving kids or teens or adults, I'm like, I have no idea how this is going to go. I'm going to try my best to make it a safe space place for people. And every time I'm just in awe of, I use the word magic, which is not a very like, you know, tangible clinical term, but the Mm -hmm. idea of like, when people come together in a group, and share those insights that they discover for themselves, how much it just amplifies that experience. Yeah, so you said awe, and that is the perfect word for it. I am always in awe. And um, you also said amplify. And I always describe this process as um, so expansive, mm. you know, because it starts with 
just being open and allowing yourself to be curious and then just uh, being invited to make an image. And then you move to the process of looking at that self-made image and seeing something that resembles some things within yourself. And then it's even more expansive when you are able to share that experience in an image and a, a narrative. And then in the group, like you mentioned, in the group format, it just becomes um, so much more meaningful and so many more insights and connections are made. And to be able to facilitate that and witness that, it's so transformative. Um, and it's like you're, you are co-creating this transformative experience. I'm wondering about the idea of the camera because I mean, there's lots of opportunities for people to do journaling or maybe to do creative collage making or other types of art where they might create an image and then reflect on it. And it, it reveals something about their internal world. What's unique about the camera and the photographs? So I think that um, sometimes in grief, we want something to hold on to and we, we want to feel grounded and I think that the practice of mindful photography can do those things. Mm. Um, you're physically holding on to something, such as the camera, and it becomes a tool to feel grounded and aware. And it's also, um, I think, you can have a sense of empowerment through the process and faith in your own thinking and your own um, authentic experience. I love that idea of just holding on to the camera itself, like having a tool mm -hmm. can be so grounding for people. And and I think too, around the idea when you're behind a camera, you take the camera away, you still see the same thing, but mm -hmm. there's something about putting up like a lens or a mm -hmm. border or a, some sort of containment around mm -hmm. an image. Right. And I, yeah, I just think about that idea of that it's a different perspective. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I think there's a lot of parallels, I guess, between what, what sometimes we want to feel in the grieving process, like that support, and like I said, something to hold on to, something that um, supports us and contains us a bit. And I think, like we mentioned, just that, that physical form of a camera can, can do that. Jessica, you mentioned earlier that when you first got into this work after your grandmother's death, you were really focusing on mindful photography for folks who have anticipatory grief. So folks who maybe have someone in their life who has an advanced serious illness. What have you seen in that? Because we've been talking a lot about kind of the grief after someone dies, but what's different or the same for folks who are in that place where someone in their life is dying? Mm -hmm. So I think with anticipatory grief, we are oscillating between hope and fear so you know those are states of anticipation that we experience you know we we hope that our loved one will be free from suffering and at the same time we are fearful of losing them mm. and so we often are pulled away from the present moment um and are oscillating between you know fear hope fear hope practicing mindful photography and uh, journal writing uh, is a way to truly slow down and feel grounded and bring you into the present and really inspire um, gratitude for the present moment 
rather than being tossed back and forth. Which I think a lot of people, even if they aren't in a moment of anticipatory grief, can relate to. Absolutely. <laughs> toss forward and back and forward and back. It's exhausting. Absolutely. We, we miss so much of what's happening in, right now. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It also proposes an opportunity to co-create meaning with the dying loved one. I have seen where folks have shared the images that they made with their dying loved one. And Mm. that was a very meaningful experience for them. And so it helped them to engage their loved one in a way that was um, meaningful before the death and um, helped that grieving process. Yeah, and I'm just struck by the idea that you know, it's so hard to have those conversations. So you have the hard conversation and it's connected to a physical image. Like you said, it's something you get to hold on to. So that image moves forward in your life connected to that experience, that person, that particular conversation. Exactly. So again, it offers you something tangible. That image is symbolic of that moment. And when you come back to that image, even after your loved one has died, it continues to inspire meaning. So I'm thinking of our listeners who are from all around the world. And if they happen to live here in Portland, they could come work with you to do this mindful photography work. What about people who maybe live in Kansas? or mm-hmm. <laughs> Right. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I do have a forthcoming um, book chapter in Dr. Robert Niemeyer's book, New Techniques of Grief Therapy, Bereavement and Beyond. And so they can check out that. And they can visit my website, reflectivetherapy.com. So is it something that maybe a person could do for themselves? Then if they read your book chapter or they go to your website and see some of the examples, it doesn't have to be guided with a a practitioner necessarily. Yeah, the mindful photography and journal writing in and of itself can be an independent practice. That next piece of it is the sharing process, which is even more expansive uh, when uh, facilitated in a group setting. Mm. But yes, the the beginning uh, parts of that practice is definitely something that, that anyone can practice. Mm-hmm. Great. So listeners, yeah, check out Jessica's website. I'll put it in the show notes. Keep an eye out for Dr. Niemeyer's book that's coming out hopefully in the next year or so. And who knows, maybe one of you will get really into this and start your own social media opportunity for people to connect, maybe a Facebook group or an Instagram account. So if you do it, tag the Ducky Center. We want to see the images that you are creating. So Jessica, thank you so much for talking with us today, sharing your really uh, important work and telling us a little bit about your dad and your grandma too. Thank you. And listeners, thanks for being part of our audience. If you're new to our show, you can learn more about the Dougie Center at dougy.org. All our episodes are in iTunes. They're on Stitcher, all the places you get your podcast. We would love if you do have access to iTunes, if you could go in and give us a rating and a review. It helps other people like yourselves find our show. So thanks for listening. Hope you'll join us again next time.